0: starting a new series, uh, when necessary. I'll explain that in a moment. But if we can be really, really honest here, before I jump into this thing, this new preaching series in which we will be looking at sharing our faith, um, which, by the way, is a command from Jesus. Uh, We know it as the Great Commission, right? There's a great commandment, love your God and love your neighbor, but this is the Great Commission. But whenever the topic of evangelism, right, sharing your faith, that, that's kind of what that word means, uh, whenever that topic comes up, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but, but people go into hiding, right? Um, both believers and non-believers, right? If they see you coming, there's a book that I had all my teen workers read, a guy out of Sacramento, Do They Run When They See You Coming, Right? <laughs> It happens, right? We, we've maybe not done a good job of sharing God's Word, and we've shared it sometimes kind of weirdly. And they look at us like, you're all just weird, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so we all, I, I know we all struggle with how do I share my faith, and that's, that's just a big deal. Uh, Greg Laurie writes this. So there's, none, there's one thing that believers and non-believers have in common. They're both incredibly uptight about evangelism. He also shares in his book, uh, Tell Someone, uh, and I believe a copy is right out there. When it comes to sharing the gospel, it seems we plan for failure far more often than success. I- I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. <laughs> just just kind of process this stuff and, and, and ask yourself, is that me? Or, Psh, right, that's not me. I got I'm all over this. He believes that's why 95% of Christians, and this is not his opinion, this is a stat from surveys, he believes the fear and, and the uptightness of sharing our faith is the reason 95% of Christians have never led anyone to Jesus. That, and I don't know how accurate that stat is. I don't have the foggiest idea where he got it. If he put it in a book, I believe it. If it's in print, you do too. You know it. So 95% of us have never shared Christ. Well, maybe he says never led them to Christ. Maybe, maybe we share a lot and we, we stumble all over ourselves and, and, and walk away. I, I, I'm not sure. He writes that for many followers of Jesus Christ, the Great Commission has become the great omission. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. I've heard that many, many times. As a pastor, we kind of joke around, oh, yeah, the Great Commission is actually the great omission. It's the one thing, right? We'll read our Bibles, we'll pray, we'll do everything else. But sharing our faith, that drops to the very bottom of the list for most. And again, if you are a sharer, absolute, you know fantastic love you love what you're doing but for the most of us we're not like you we we just get nervous we 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 get apprehensive we don't know what to say what you know whatever so this morning i'm going to offer some thoughts on two questions what are we sharing right and why aren't we sharing it what are we sharing and and why why aren't we sharing it what are we sharing that makes everybody so uptight Right, I, I read in the Gospels, anyway, and, and in Acts, and I know things started out really, really well in both places and not always ended up well. People were people, right? But it seems to me as you read through the Gospels and the Acts, nobody was really uptight about sharing their faith, right? The people sharing their faith did it boldly, and thousands listened and came to Christ. It's like, wow, what what are they saying and we're not saying that so many people came to Christ? Are we sharing the wrong information, right? Are we, are we sharing good information but we're sharing it poorly? Right, this, is, this is for you to think about, right? I, I really don't have answers this morning. It's some things to think about. And then if it's truly good and correct information, which the good news is, right? If it's well told, then why aren't we sharing it? Is it just regular, regular old fear? Are we intellectually ill-equipped, unprepared? Or do we just feel intellectually ill-equipped? Don't know what to say. Are we morally ill-equipped, right? It shouldn't be me talking about this because y'all know me. I can't. I'll be looked at as a hypocrite. Blah, blah, you know. Are we morally ill-equipped, unprepared, or do we just feel that way? Then are we practically ill-equipped, unprepared? I just don't know what to say or how to say it. Or do we just feel that way? So having said all that, get the gears going, let's jump into our new preaching series, When Necessary. Right? You might have heard this before, share the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Right? You've heard that? Don't raise your hand because I'm always the only one raising my hand. Serious exercise in humility. The premise of the series, of this series, the quote should never, ever, ever, ever be misunderstood to mean that the majority of sharing our faith is with non-words. So please, when you see this phrase, when necessary, use words. Um, that is not kind of that, that, that's not the Hail Mary, that, that's not when all else fails, that, that's that's not a last resort kind of thing. That's, that's not what the statement is about. Right? Yes, Christians absolutely need to be nice and loving of their neighbor, even the neighbors they don't like. But just being nice and moral isn't going to lead people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That takes explaining. That that takes words. Otherwise people just think, well, that's a really nice person. (laughs) Thankfully, for many of you worshiping with us this morning, I'm going to wildly guess here somebody in your life, decided that in your case, words would definitely be needed to get you saved. And I don't know, most of us can name the person, right, that either got us almost there or closed the deal. You know, they, they, they took us aside and they shared stuff with us. And, and we heard it and we responded, somebody, somebody use words. Hopefully they were very, very loving and you were able to match their loving attitude and the words that they used. And they were like, wow, glove in hand. Right What they say and what they do identical, if I can be perfectly honest, I'm not sure if this was planned again, I've said this many times or or, or if I just heard it wrong, um, but the way it was told to me in order to get to heaven, I had to have hell scared out of me that that that, that was what I remember i again, they might have had deep, deep teaching that. Whew, and then when they mentioned the words heaven and hell, you know, I perked up. Like, whoa, 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 this sounds like this is important, right? I think I better listen to this part. Again, to this day, I'm not sure was that what they were sharing? Or is that just what I got out of a week of summer camp? All right, was that the plan to get me saved? I know what you're thinking. Did it work? <laughs> Yes, sort of. In sixth grade, and, I'm, and as I write this, I'm not sure if it was fourth grade or sixth grade camp, that, that's when I remember having hell scared out of me. And I didn't even wait till Friday night to go down to the altar. I think I did it like on Wednesday night because I was so freaked out, right? That's That pastor, That I, I, I don't know what he said, but he scared hell out of me, and I wanted heaven, <laughs> Right? Definitely. It's like, sign me up. What do I got to do? What shouldn't I do? Because those two places are really, really impactful. By 10th grade, not so much. Because at that point I discovered forgiveness and mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. And and that's all I could think about, right? The rest of that summer, I went home, and I'll throw out some names here. Uh, What's the the band? (laughs) Keith Green. Discovered him in 10th grade summer camp, 1977, something like that. And oh, boy, he just sung about Jesus, and I just loved. It's all I could think about. But, but, here's the problem. To this day, I sometimes struggle. I don't know if you struggle. I think more about heaven and hell which is what I recall from either sixth or fourth grade summer camp, and less about spending so much time with Jesus, being so close to Jesus that people would actually see Jesus in me. Right? You'd hear them say, "Jumping Jehoshaphat!" Right? What Jerry just did is exactly what Jesus would have done in that situation. Holy moly! Do you hear what Jesus, Jerry just said? That's exactly what Jesus would have said in that circumstance. All I'm kind of, and I don't know if you struggle with this too. I, I. I don't want to go to hell and I don't want to go to heaven. And and I struggle. Do I want heaven more than being with Jesus? Do you want heaven or are you more afraid of hell than you than you loving Jesus? Are we sharing Jesus as a means to an end? As we talk with people, is that What people are hearing. If if you trust this guy, you get to go to heaven and you don't have to go to hell. And we just skip over the guy and we land on the place, right? So, what are we sharing when Jesus says to share our faith? When we talk about being saved, what exactly are we talking about? Are we saved for heaven or for the kingdom of heaven? And are we being saved from hell? Are we saved from that kingdom that has power there? See, heaven and hell are locations, right? But the kingdoms aren't location bound. I'm sure you're aware of this, right? God's not stuck in heaven. The evil one isn't stuck in H E double toothpicks, right? They're 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 out and about. Are we saved for the location or for the kingdom? Of that location. See, when we share the kingdom of heaven, that includes heaven, right? You recognize that, right? We can share the kingdom of heaven, and, and heaven is included in that, right? right? When you meet Jesus, or when heaven and earth are rejoined, and, and, and Jesus returns to be crowned king over that promised reunion, right? Heaven comes with it. But when we only share heaven, and then the kingdom of heaven has to wait, Right, you recognize that if we're only sharing the destination, then the kingdom that rules there, they've got to go figure that one out on their own. And if we only preach hell, then the kingdom that rules there is free to rule. Because we really haven't taught about that kingdom. There are a couple million dollar questions. Are we sharing a salvation for now or for later? See, as Christ said, I, I am ushering in the kingdom and, and it is being done now. You know, he used weird words, but he introduced the kingdom. The end times have started, right? We are in the end times. I hope you're aware of that. Second question Are we sharing a location or the kingdom that rules there? Just as we share our faith with you people and, 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 and pastors say, hey, go share your faith, and, and like, whoa, 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 what am I sharing? Just think about this share the kingdom. Share the goodness and the beauty of the kingdom. Share the forgiveness that's offered through the kingdom. Share that, right? So just some thoughts on what we're sharing when we dare to share. The second question I want to address by way of the Great Commission. This is Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to start with verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Now understand this is arguably... A best day ever for Jesus. I don't know if you recognize this, but since the very creation of the world, right, Jesus has been patiently waiting to utter these exact words, like now the adventure begins. Now we're going to get some things done. Now we're going to be, begin to defeat sin. Now we're going to be ushering people into God's presence in a permanent fashion in a Holy Spirit-empowered way. Right, now, finally... And the events of the past week have been truly terrifying for Jesus, right? It actually started much earlier in Jesus' ministry when God the Son revealed a promise to the disciples that he received from God the Father. Matthew 11, verse 27 says this, and he's talking to his disciples. He says, all things have been committed to me. Not yet. He's made a commitment to me that all things will be given to me. Right? But not yet. By my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son reveals chooses to reveal him. All things. And then since then, after an initial good start in his ministry, right, the last days saw both the crowds and many disciples call it quits. See, this is a promise. This is a promise from the Heavenly Father to the Son. And at this point, very little has actually been delivered for Jesus, right? Things have not gone well. He doesn't seem to have authority. People seem to be ignoring him. And then his final week, he's denied, betrayed, abandoned by all, viciously beaten, ridiculed, humiliated, spit on, jeered at, and crucified, dead, right? Lousy week. Have you had a bad week? Have you had a bad week? Keep it in context. right? Perspective. Perspective. But because Jesus remained perfectly obedient to the will of the Father, redemption for the broken and dying world was finally possible. And that is what Jesus, I think, he was so excited To utter these words, all authority has now, because he's been risen, he's been crucified, he's been risen at this point. All authority has now been given. It's no longer committed, it's been given to me. I have all authority because I remain perfectly obedient to the Father. And now redemption is finally possible. No longer will death have the last say. And so Jesus Christ, this is his day, right? This is the best day ever. For Jesus Christ. And so to the frightened, cowering disciples, Jesus assures them of his power. That's a huge thing. And to the surprise of those listening, there was a twist that had to have caught their attention that it kind of slips by us. See, Jesus, this this is all, this is what they knew, right? They knew that he would be a descendant of King David, he would be the royal messiah, and he would be king of the Jews. But on this day, with these very words, Jesus is telling the entire world, including his disciples, including us, right? That I'm not just a descendant of King David, I'm not just the royal Messiah, and I'm not just the King of the Jews. I am king over the entire cosmos. Everything. And again, those listening are all they're thinking about is Israel. Like in, and then maybe the surrounding Gentiles, right? But but the pagan, the barbarians, I don't know about that. And then Jesus says this to them, this to them. The entire, I'm not just your king, I am the world's king. William Barclay writes this Surely nothing was outside the power of him who had died and conquered death. And now they were the servants of a master whose authority upon earth and in heaven was beyond all question. The Great Commission continues, this is verse 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. New Beacons Bible Commentary writes this the mission of the disciples isn't just to proclaim the good news, as we've discussed before. Right, the mission was making dedicated and faithful followers. We're called to make disciples, right, by reaching all corners of the earth, baptizing the new believers, and then teaching them to obey Jesus' commandments so that they can then participate as a member of God's people. Finishing out, completing God's mission. Right? That was the purpose, is for us to finish the mission, not simply to get to heaven and to avoid hell. That's not the mission. That's a beautiful outcome, <laughs> no denying that, but that's not the mission. So Jesus not only assures them of his power, but he also gives them a mission. Right? Jesus gave them a commission, co-mission. He's got the mission, now we're co-missionaries with Him. Right? He sent them out to make the world, all the world, His disciples. Right? To make Christ-like disciples in all the world. You'll see that on our mission statement. We kind of narrow it down a little bit. Because we're not the Holy Spirit, we're not all over the world at once. Our mission statement says that we want to make Christ-like disciples here in the Tri-Cities. And maybe if you're watching online, far, far away, we, we include you. Okay? And all this takes lots and lots of other followers. Remember, we talked about this last week, all doing their part. So we asked it last week, we'll ask it again. As relating to our fears and our hesitations and fulfilling the commission given to us by Jesus Christ, are we swinging for the fence, or is our goal to just keep to move runners a little further around the base paths? Right? We get this idea with evangelism that we have to, right, we have to make the pitch, Right, we've got to discuss it, and we've got to argue it, and then we got to usher. I mean, we got to do everything, and 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 nowhere in God's word does that put is that pressure put on us. We put that on ourselves, and that kind of stops us in our tracks, doesn't it? It's like, wow, that could take all day, right? Mm-hmm. I don't got all day. Well, how about just saying something nice then? You, you got time for that, right? Are we expected to do? all of that no no we're not that's the task given to us as the local body not you recognize that right right the great commission is given to us not to us individually because us individually can't make it happen it's going to take his his body right the church and we're told that the church will one day win the world that's the task given to the church that's a tall task and then the final words of the Great Commission, the tail end of verse 20 says this, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The mission, teaching, and life of the community of faith rests on the assurance that I am with you always. I don't know if you recognize this either. And if go back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, what do we read? God with us. Right at the very, 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 very beginning of Matthew's gospel. And about almost exactly halfway, chapter 18... When two or more of you are gathered in my name, there am I with you. So I, I, I'm with you at the beginning. I'm with you at the middle, and now we read at the very end, chapter 28, verse 20. I'll be with you to the. I was with you at the beginning. I've been with you in the middle, and I'm going to be with you to the very, very end. You will never be alone. You don't have to do this on your own. I will be with you. My spirit will be with you. My spirit will guide you. My spirit will give you the right words to say. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So Jesus promises his power. He gives them a commission. And he gives them his presence. William Barclay writes this again. It must have been staggering. A staggering thing for 11 humble Galileans to be sent forth to conquer the world. Can you imagine? You're 11 people. Christ comes and says, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. I mean, they had to look around, right? Us? You got some other players in this game there, coach? Because there's only 11 of us, right? We already lost one. Even as they heard it, their hearts must have failed them, right? Just like, ugh. But no sooner was the command given than the promise followed. Don't fear. I'm going to be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. See, we're in the kind of the same boat that Jesus was in. Do you recognize that? An outlandish promise has been made. Just this crazy big, big, bigger than anything you'd ever heard, this promise from the Heavenly Father given to God the Son. And now we've been given a similar promise. And now we're to go out and faithfully act on that promise. Right? They were sent out just as we are on the greatest task in history. But with him was the greatest presence in the world. With us is the greatest presence in the world. Now, sadly, we miss all three. Excuse me, we dismiss all three of these things, his power, the commission that he gave us, and his presence when fear stops us from sharing our faith. It's like literally these three things, right out the window, and we're suddenly all alone, scared to death, don't know what to say, don't know how to say it, don't know when to say it, so we don't say it. But did you know that the frightened disciples and frightened you, (laughs) that was his audience. He knew who he was speaking to, right? Jesus knew the disciples. What were they doing? They were cowering. They were frightened. They were scared to death. They wouldn't even come out of the house, right? They had the worst agoraphobia ever. But that's exactly who Jesus had in mind when he gave the Great Commission. Listen closely to the verses that we didn't read just now, but we read earlier. Verses 16 and 17 say this, says this. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. They bowed down. Right? There were no songs busting out, no sermon. It's not that kind of worship thing. Um, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Right? You catch that. Jesus is about to commission disciples who still have doubts about who he is and what he's here to do. He's like, I don't care. I'm going to send you because I know that you're going to have my spirit with you. My spirit will remind you. My spirit will empower you. My spirit will give you courage. I'm not worried. You're scared to death. And that's why I'm telling you this, right? This is a message to us. If you're one of these people, one of these disciples that are scared to death, your heart is stopped. This is a big task. Right? This great commission was specifically for you. Especially those last words and the opening words. All authority has been given to me and that authority will be with you to the very end of the age. And again, they doubted. A lot of ideas behind that. right? Would Jesus forgive them? They hadn't really heard that yet. The last time they saw him, they were running. Right? They abandoned him. Is he going to forgive us? First of all, he's alive. And, 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 and the next thought is, is, is he going to forgive us? Is he going to pick 12 more because we've done poorly? Is he going to go get the paid experts? Because these laymen are just, they're a mess. Was Jesus truly the Messiah, right? How should they behave in his presence now? How should they approach him? Right? How should they worship him? This was their, their Messiah, their, their, their rabbi for three years, but he was still a man. But now things have changed completely. He was dead, but now he's alive. How do you even relate? Apparently some disciples still don't know what to share or how to share it, right? What are we looking at and how are we going to explain this? Right, that's the exact thing that stops you cold. How am I going to explain this? What am I going to say? It's all kind of crazy, right? When you think about it. Well, I know this guy who came to life, and, and your neighbor goes, uh, "Thank you, <laughs> Looney Ben." Right? They're 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 having the same doubts. What are we supposed to say now to people? No, no, he's actually alive. No, 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 really, we saw him. <laughs> so, how does Jesus handle their doubts? Their apprehensions, their hesitations, really their, their guilty conscience, right? This is what he does. He reestablishes the broken relationship through including them in the mission. He doesn't exclude them. Isn't that crazy? I know we sometimes look around and say, ah, no, you can't do that task, right? Uh, no, 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 you need a lot more classes, right? You use some pretty salty language. Um, we need to clean you up before we turn you loose on the people, that's not what Christ did. He said, I'm putting you to work because that will change you. You sitting at home and hoping to get changed, that's not going to work. But if I put you in the path of somebody who desperately needs me and you make that connection, you'll never be the same, right? Joy will fill you. You won't be able to stop sharing the good news. And I think this is what happened to the 11 disciples, right? They start out cowering. What suddenly made them so courageous that they literally could not keep their mouths shut? right? I'll tell you a couple things I think that happened. One, they had an experience with the risen Lord, right? That's the power of story, right? They could tell people, it was kind of crazy, but they could tell people, this is what I saw. As crazy as it sounds, this is what I experienced. We're going to look at that in week three of our series, the power of your story. Very, very powerful as you share your faith. Um, But the second thing I think is just an incredible example of divine grace and restoration. Jesus appears before a bunch of betrayers and failures, right? And entrusts them with the most important task the world has ever known to be emissaries of his kingdom. But I'm not morally, I'm not practically, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. It's like Jesus, I don't care. (laughs) I know my spirit is, and my spirit's going to fill you. I know I can't count on you, right? I've been trying to count on you for 2,000 years, but now with my spirit on your heart instead of on bricks of stone. I right? now. Now, Jesus like now. Now it's going to happen. Now things are going to start rolling, right? So I've been thinking about the study I mentioned last week how we tend to get more agitated by a loss than excited by an equal gain. Right? The study showed that let's just take a dollar. We're more disappointed that we lost the dollar than when we then we are excited about finding a dollar. It's like, oh, yeah. But, oh, lost a dollar. Oh, <laughs> the sky is falling. The sky is falling. And then I read a recent article Speaking Up by Seth Gooden relating to the question that I asked a couple weeks ago. Are we driven more by what we'll lose or by what the kingdom will gain? He writes this. For many, the imagined cost of speaking up is almost always higher than the actual cost. Now, he's a marketing I have no idea if he's a Christian. He's a marketing guy. For many, the imagined cost of speaking up is almost always higher than the actual cost. And we live with the cost in our imagination daily, dying a little bit over time as we keep our insights to ourselves. Does that ring a bell at all with some of you? Right? You know you need to be sharing your faith, but you just don't speak up. And each time that opportunity passes, just a little part of you inside, it dies. Wow, disappointment, right, and all that—that guilt and all that kind of stuff. He writes this, and this is kind of what I want to close. Speaking up is a skill. Witnessing—that's a skill, right? We're called to do it, but it's a skill, and we can only improve it with practice. Right, and, and you know, I just heard about the rule of three. When you try anything new, do it at least three times. The first time, you're going to feel like an absolute fool. Second time, you're hoping nobody's looking. But the third time, you're like, okay, you know, maybe I can get into this. I want to challenge you. <laughs> three, not one. The next couple of weeks, witness to three people. If you're afraid, pick somebody that you just meet occasionally on the sidewalk while you're walking your dog. And right yelling at them to pick up your dog's poop and oh by the way let me tell you about jesus <laughs> you know you can slip it in any way you want but but i, I want to challenge you three would you be willing to share your faith with three and, and again it's going to take practice the first time you're just going to ah, second time yeah third time i, yeah, I can do this I, I think i can do this in closing don't let the great commission become the great omission That's our our greatest call, is not to get to heaven and avoid hell, but to spread the kingdom of heaven. Because that's what's going to last forever, is the kingdom of heaven. That's the important part. We have Jesus' power. We have a commission by Jesus himself. We have Jesus' presence. And that's all available because Jesus knows us, right? We need those things. Why? Why? because we're intellectually, morally, and practically challenged if we're perfectly honest. He knows us. He says, don't fear. I'm going to be with you. Don't be afraid. Don't let the great commission become the great omission. Would you bow your heads? Father, thank you so much for your word. Again, Father, give us courage to use some of these words as we speak to people in our life here that desperately need the living word. Father, we are your emissaries, and we have doubts about ourselves, we have fears, Lord, but you are not worried at all if we seek your power. Thank you, Father. In your son's name we pray.